Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. What the, the hell is wrong with this thing? I, you, you just gotta smack it a bit. Well, just how though? Like, I'm just. Just comes, just comes, just comes for. Maybe like. Uh, here, uh, let me. You might as well make it your friend. Your friend with us on one dom how did you fix it <clears throat> it's the 13th episode oh shit yeah it is <laughs> wait how did you how did you fix it why does why does that matter that it's the 13th it's better if you don't ask questions <laughs> oh, okay okay buddy you, you know what that's okay it's just it's been a long season okay he's he's fine it's fine we've we've he's all fine. been through a he's lot fine. Mm-hmm, definitely <laughs> yeah all right. <laughs> uh, well, welcome <laughs> to Death and Friends. <laughs> my name is Angel, and that person with the bleeding nose is Nash. Wait what? a second. Holy oh my, shit, Nash. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Your I nose just, is bleeding. I just I just touched Dom on the shoulder. Well, what is okay. happening? Well, um, mm. moving on. If you haven't listened to last week, get yourself together. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, what you're going to want to do now is pause this one. Yep. Go ahead and pause it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Go back in time a week, get in your DeLorean. Not, not really. Just get on your podcast app and listen to episode 12. If they pause it, they're not going to hear your instructions. That is also very fair, but I doubt anybody actually paused it. <laughs> oh, anyway, the episode is called It's Lizzie, Bitch, Part 1, If I Did It. If you haven't noticed, Nash gets to name most of the episodes. Yeah. Which has a lot of fun doing it. I do. Alrighty. Now that you've cleaned yourself up here, paint the picture there, Dorian Gray. When we were last together, we left things right at mid-morning on August 4th, 1892, as the good doctor is summoned to the Borden house in Fall River to declare Andrew Borden and Abby Borden officially axed to death. Dead this to is, death. Yeah, to mm-hmm. death. This is the day after every man in Abby's life gaslit her about thinking that she and her husband were going to be poisoned. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to be this guy. Okay. But the dudes were right. Oh. They were not poisoned to death. A very weird time for you to agree with them, considering Andrew's blood and brains are all over that back wall over there. For sure. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, oh, I feel gross saying that. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Ooh, I mean, you know, they're not poisoned. I'm just saying. Like, okay. they weren't poisoned. They're super dead, just not poisoned. I'm okay. a piece of shit. For the sake of definitely no reason whatsoever, let's have a quick recap. Mm -hmm, Let's do mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? Uh, Um, Hey, hey, Dom, can you just, can you play the fun fact song? But why do we have to? (laughs) (laughs) Are we, um, we sure he's fine? Hot Takes with Nash. Nah, he's, he's good. He's, <laughs> okay. He's good, uh, I think. Yeah. You're, you're doing great, Dom. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh-huh. Anyway, now for zero reasons, absolutely indicative of nothing. Here it goes. Just a reminder that two days before the murder, Lizzie walks into a pharmacy, is recognized, and tries to literally buy poison. Then, the evening prior and the morning of the murder, everyone in the house gets sick, likely, from their dinner. So, food poisoning. I am just saying, maybe, let's not erase Abby's gut feelings on this. (laughs) Okay, okay, I get it. That's very fair. Fair enough. Time to take a look around, though, because the good doctor's here, Bridget is back, and we're also joined by Lizzie's friend, Alice Russell, and a neighbor, Adelaide Churchill. Now, as far as everyone but probably Lizzie knows, only Andrew is known to be dead at this point. And this is important, because as everyone is absorbing that news, Bridget asks Lizzie directly about Abby, and Lizzie tells her that she thought Abby had just come home, despite having moments before told Adelaide that Abby was out visiting the sick friend we talked about last episode. Yeah, you know the episode you were supposed to listen to before this episode? Episode 12? Yeah, that one. You should listen to that. Yeah, do that. And, like, you can listen to other episodes back, too, if you haven't. They're they're really good. I like the vampire one. Yeah. But, like, definitely listen to episode 12 first. Yeah. She was in that one. Yeah, she was. The sick friend. And she's the... It's one of those situations, you know, with the friend. That, you know, it's the friend that goes to another school... In Canada, yeah. you wouldn't know them. They're older. They don't like their picture taken. So, like, don't even, don't even, I don't even have any to show you. Like, it's a whole thing. Like, you didn't give me enough time. Like, obviously, there's a picture of this person. We just, we didn't I have mean, enough time. She's, guys, guys, she's real, guys, guys. She's really hot. You know, she's just, she, right. she just didn't have we, time to take a picture <clears throat> with us. Yeah. <clears throat> we, yeah, at camp, totally yeah. did stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, Bridget goes upstairs with Adelaide, and they find Abby pretty instantly. And boom, it's crime scene time. Coming this August, CSI Fall River. Sounds like somebody's in the shit. Yeah! Looks like somebody's got a question to ask. Yeah! Seems like somebody's ashes to ashes. We all fall down yeah <laughs> smells like teen spirit guys for the love of god move on okay okay fine fine god, jesus fine. god the police arrive and immediately make note about lizzie being uh hang on a second a fucking weirdo not in so many words it's actually yeah. it's actually quite a lot of words but since oh, you, is it? Yeah, since you clearly want the quote, here's Officer Phil Harrington with our traffic update. Lizzie stood by the foot of the bed and uh, talked in the most calm and collected manner. Uh, her whole bearing was just remarkable under the circumstances. Uh, there was not the least indication of agitation, no sign of sorrow or grief, no lamentation of the heart. No comment on the horror of the crime. Just nothing. No expression of a wish that the criminal be caught. All this and something that to me is quite indescribable. Gave birth to the thought that was most revolting. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, Phil. Some of that is evidence. and Some of that is just what you presume women are supposed to be doing because you said so. Yeah, it's called shock, Phil. Look it up, you 
Yeah, Piece Phil. Piece of shit. Yeah, Fargo looking. <laughs> Stupid ass, cop ass. <laughs> Mustache having ass. Get out of here, Phil. You smell like shit. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, Phil? A piece of shit? <laughs> Phil et al. do a search of the house, but it's not thorough. They mostly skip Lizzie's room because they're men, and they'll ignite into flames if they so much as touch an unmarried woman's dress fabric. The search of the house turns up a few dusty axes and hatchets in the basement, none of which get taken into evidence. One of the hatchets is handleless, and the break appears recent. All of this is relevant. We will get to it. <laughs> Abby and Andrew's bodies enjoy a nice evening laid out at the dining room table. Mm. Being dead. Yeah. They're like hella dead. They're just on the table. Super dead. They were like, where do we put these? Well, just put them on Wherever the table. Wherever we eat. <laughs> and move the potatoes. Move. Police are stationed at the house, and one officer reported later that Lizzie and her good old buddy Alice, my good old buddy Alice, uh, totally real. Uh, by the way, Alice, who decided to stay there for some fucking reason. Hmm. My best friend's parents were axed to death. I saw both of their disgusting bodies myself. The house is covered in blood and brain bits. Think I'll spend the night with my best friend who maybe did it in the house she maybe did it in with the weapon she maybe did it with instead of back at my own house, literally down the street with all my doors and windows locked. You know what? Good for her. Yeah. Alice Russell, the first woman to spend the night in a haunted house and survive till morning. So brave. Anyway, the police reported seeing Lizzie and Alice pop off into the cellar with a lamp and pail. Pop off, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) They go back inside, only for Lizzie to come back out again, this time alone, and does something at the sink for a bit. Just a quick something at the sink. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't know what it was. Just a little... What could it have been? Just a little stress relieving at the sink. Mm -hmm. The next morning, John Morse, you you remember good old Uncle John, tries to leave the house. John! He tries to leave, but he's promptly accosted by the angry mob of Fall Riverians. Fall Riverers? Fall Fall, River Knights. Fall River Knights, who think that he murdered the Bordens, even though at this point the police know that he has an alibi, which unfortunately is pretty good, since like five people remember him. Five separate fall... Actual people. Ri- Definitely fall people. Fall river people. River... Summer mud butts. Riveroids. Well, the mud the butters. Mud... That's the local folk band. Um, they just do John Denver covers. The police do a better search of the house and take the broken hatchet into evidence. And also, having now ruled out John, Dr. Bowen, and the ever-mysterious evil foreigners who steal our jobs... Which they had dedicated a bit of time on. Because, you know, hey, it's our buddy's back. The racism's here, y'all. Aw, hey, bud. Hey. Missed you. Glad to have you back. Mm-hmm. So then after, you know, the racism, mm-hmm. they politely inform Lizzie that she's a suspect. She responds to this bit of information by, in what is known as the worst bit of decision-making possible, taking a dress from her closet, ripping it into pieces, and burning it. In front of her good friend and now star witness for the prosecution, Alice Russell. Ah, oh, Lizzie, you would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling facts of things that you did that were very suspicious. <laughs> the Venn diagram of things guilty people do and things Lizzie did immediately after her parents were mysteriously axed to death in their own home an hour apart is a circle. Time is a flat circle. 
In this case, quite literally. Yeah, with dead bodies in the middle of it. Lizzie's real fucking defense of the dress burning thing is that the dress that she destroyed had paint on it, which she obviously had to get rid of permanently the day the police are like, hey, babe, you're being real suspicious. It feels like we were hitting this over the head a bit. With an axe, even. Metaphor (laughs) of the day. It's because we are. Because look, maybe Lizzie is innocent and all this shit so far has just been fear and shock. Drugs. Yeah. Uh, the the good old Dr. Bowen even told police at the house on the day of the murders that Lizzie was often prescribed fucking morphine. Yeah. You know, for nerves, like we still do today. Mm, just a rip of morphine before that work presentation, baby. Mm. But if you think she's had some potentially poor judgment for a potentially innocent person so far, just you wait. All right. This has been a busy couple days, so let's speed things up a bit. Like a nice relaxing game of The Sims while you're waiting for them to finally drown in the pool without the ladder. What? Aug- Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. August okay. 6th is the day of the funeral for Andrew and Abby, but their bodies only make it to the graveside and then turn right around and go off to their official autopsy, which delightfully takes place a week later. Oh, if you mm. thought Fall River spelled bad before... From all the mud butt, mm. just imagine what it smells like now, with no refrigeration. And two murdered people just laying about. They never moved them. They were still on the table. <laughs> Good for Andy. All right, so. <laughs> Meat. On August 8th, Lizzie answers questions under oath at an official inquest. And her testimony is, to use a technical term, a hot-ass mess. She yes, contradicts herself. Yes, it's, it's very technical. She contradicts herself. She refuses to answer questions directly that might have helped her, and she frequently frustrates the court by being vague or unhelpful. Well, she's being spiritual. She's not religious. She's spiritual. Oh. Yeah. Thankfully for her, the entire inquest is deemed inadmissible for a trial, which is neat. Yeah. Because uh, newspapers that reported her testimony were like, okay, so seems like Shadi probably did it. Yeah. Lizzie is arrested and formally charged on August 11th, and thus imprisoned. She's indicted by the district court on December 2nd, after some key testimony by the Borden's maid, Bridget, not Maggie, Bridget, and the neighbor, Adelaide Churchill, and IDK, my BFF, Alice Russell, who, by the way, Lizzie never speaks to again after the trial, which is just, like, rude. Uh, the As judge, best friends do. Yeah, like, whatever, man, testify against me, I'm not gonna talk to you anymore, I'm gonna unfriend you on Instagram, but not Facebook, because I need to know what kind of a life you live after, when it's not important. It's, not, it's fine. It's fine. The judge, giving his closing remarks in the most fascinating 19th century consideration of gender roles ever, asked the court to consider the evidence had Lizzie been a man. Suppose for a single moment that had been a man standing there. He was found closely by the guest chamber, which is to Mrs. Borden, was a chamber of death. Suppose a man had been found in the vicinity of Mr. Borden, and the only account he could give of himself was that the unreasonable one, that he was out in the barn looking for sinkers. That he was in the yard. That he was looking for something else. So there's only one thing to do. Painful as it may be, the judgment of the court said you are probably guilty. You are ordered to wait. The action of the Superior Court. Her trial in front of a grand jury begins on June 5th the following year, in 1893. Before it starts, though, the newspapers across the states are loaded with bored and factoids and speculation. In an embarrassing disaster, the Boston Globe pays for and prints a totally bogus story about Lizzie being pregnant. But the sensationalism doesn't end there. Lizzie was only one of three people arrested for murder in the Fall River area that year, and the only woman. So it's safe to say 
that most 19th century ladies were simply not into acts murdering their parents. Reporters all over run stories about Lizzie's past and the Bordens in general. Lizzie's old teachers and friends come out of the woodwork, and doctors drop by to speculate on whether Lizzie has the old female hysteria. Fun facts with Nash. One of the other very cool things about being a woman during this time period was the absolute and utter lack of understanding about periods. Ha, <laughs> gross. Yes, exactly. Hans Gross was a criminologist in Austria, and he literally, for real life, sat down and wrote these words. Menstruation may bring women to the most terrible crimes, in many cases, to murder. Which wins the Nobel Prize for hot fucking shit I made up because I'm a man and allowed to say just anything for science. Anyway, this is relevant because during the inquest, Lizzie testifies that she has, quote, fleas, which, and this is true, was a Fall River way to say that you were on your period. Just to recap, Fall River, famous for the summer mud butt, a few axe murders, and also calling your ladyhood having fleas. Just, you know, for tourism. Fall River, don't visit here. <coughs> anyway, Lizzie is forced to mention the fleas thing, as there was a pail full of bloodied fabric scraps and a drop of blood found on the inside of one of Lizzie's skirts during the full search of the house. So, you know. Just hashtag innocent things. Yeah, yeah, that's queen. Lizzie's like, oh, I'm on my period. And the men are like, a confession. Women murder people on their periods, so says science. And Lizzie's just like, well, or I meant that there's some blood hanging around. You know what? Let's call it a tie. <laughs> a few days before the trial starts, on June 1st, a woman named Bertha Manchester was found axed to death in her home. Which leads everyone in town and also on the jury to be like, oh shit, I think maybe maybe Lizzie's innocent actually because this other shot he just got um, just blasted in the face with an axe. If it helps, it ends up being totally unrelated. The arrest. No, it doesn't. Another lady got accident. Okay, not totally unrelated, but pretty unrelated. <laughs> they arrest, and uh, quotation marks here, a disgruntled Portuguese farmhand on the same day of the trial. He confesses to the crime. You know, confesses. But he wasn't in the U.S. at the time of the Borden murders, so there's that. Fun times. I thought racism left. Yeah, racism. Okay. No, I don't want a natty light. Okay. Uh, Lizzie's trial officially begins on June the 5th with a bunch of dudes. Ah, yes. It's a real sausage party of... A jury of Lizzie's peers. Sure. Women can't even vote yet, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And some nicely cultivated drama to start us off. The state prosecutor reveals the skulls of Abby and Andrew. Just want to point out that, yes, this means they were buried without their skulls. Okay. Continue. And shows how the handless hatchet fits into the cut marks of the skulls. At this, Lizzie faints. It's the first and only time until the end of the trial that Lizzie shows any fucking emotion at all. Yeah. That's going to be pretty important. Because it allows Lizzie sympathizers in the newspaper to talk about, Oh, poor Lizzie being subjected to something that adverse to good old Victorian femininity. Oh, shit. Oh, no. She was a good Christian lady. She's only 5'4". She taught Sunday school. She's 5'4"? She's 5'4". Lizzie, Borden, and I are the same height, and we're also the same height as Olaf. That's just news. Okay. Fine. I don't know. Wait, you're only 5'4"? Yeah, I'm only 5'4". Wait, only 5'4"? I think that's like 
tallish. Okay, dude. Okay. Now we're just hurting feelings. No, what? No, it's no. You're very tall, Nash. Thanks. Ladies can't do murders because they're delicate little flowers that go to church a lot, except for a week every month where they bleed because it makes them murder. Women, the original werewolves. Oh, woo! <laughs> the first few days of testimony are dedicated to establishing the timeline of the day of the murders and the relationships between the Bordens. There are quite a few witnesses that testify that both Lizzie and Emma are rather cold or outright hostile to and about Abby. The next few days are a bit more damning with the testimonies of the good doctor who confirmed Lizzie's morphine, um, we didn't call it prescription. Prescription. Yeah, it's really hard finding ways to medically treat something so obviously gross as, oh, being a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And Adelaide Churchill, the neighbor who introduces the interesting fact that Lizzie changed dresses on the day of the murders. Yes. The first dress she wore is probably the blue one she destroyed the evening she was informed that she was a suspect. Adelaide helpfully does testify that she did not remember seeing any blood on it. Hmm. The truth is out there. It's aliens. That's who did it. <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Medical experts, and hey, that's in quotes because, duh, show up and testify about whether or not a person of Lizzie's size and gender could have committed these murders. And what they say is, yes. But the jury is ultimately instructed to disregard the medical testimony. Things really heat up for the state prosecutor fandom when Alice Russell, former BFF, takes the stand. In what could probably be described as premeditation, Alice tells a story about when Lizzie visited her the day before the murders and confessed that something is hanging over me. I cannot tell what it is. And later... I feel afraid that something is going to happen. What is it, girl? What's wrong? Is Timmy in the well again? Fun? The defense spent a lot of their dedicated time popping holes in the key testimony, adding confusion to the timeline, and wondering about the logistics of the crime. How could somebody axe murder two people so violently and not be totally covered head to toe in blood? Mm. They wonder out loud, Mm -hmm. professionally, like professionals, who know what axe murdering someone professionally looks like professionally. PhD. Stands for professionally hatchet decapitation. (laughs) Professionally hatched to death. Well done. You're welcome. I have a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) The defense goes on to tie things up in the second half with two major victories. The first being throwing out Lizzie's inquest testimony on the basis that she was without a lawyer and not technically a suspect at the time, and thereby not adequately cautioned on her rights. The second victory they win is having the story about the visit to the pharmacy for prussic acid excluded on the basis that it was some time before the murders. Ah, yes. Two whole days. And thereby it could mean nothing. The defense only calls a few witnesses, mostly randos, saying they saw suspicious people near the Borden house, but they also call Emma, who recounts the whole... Andrew and Lizzie loved each other very much thing, and that Abby was just sort of existed. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it was Gross. fine. Everything is fine. Whatever. Ugh. Mm. But Emma does testify that it is her idea to burn the paint-covered dress, not Lizzie's. In their closing arguments, Lizzie's team is super clear. The state prosecutors, who have to bear the burden of proof, haven't done so. They have no murder weapon, only a suspected handleless hatchet. They've got no blood and no bloodied clothing, and they openly mocked the idea presented by the state that perhaps 
Lizzie committed the murders naked. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Wait, yes. what? Oh, yeah. That's a real thing they speculated. Nice. The state reiterates that it was basically a near impossible for anyone else to have committed the crime. They point to all the circumstantial stuff, but also that Lizzie had absolutely no alibi, and her excuse for not hearing the murdering that was happening inside the house was that she was outside in the barn, randomly looking for fishing lures and just eating some pears. You must only eat pears while sitting in silence outside in your barn. Those are the rules. Then the judge sends the jury off to think about those things, not the pear thing, the other things. Right, right. Yeah. The, the, what you do? The murdery things? The Of her parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. Mm -hmm. With a hatchet. Yeah. Bunch of times. Allegedly. 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 Don't want to get sued by the board in the state. <laughs> they control the milk. It does take the jury forever. So like, long. so long to decide. You guys, I'm being 100% serious. Mm -hmm. It was so complicated and difficult with all the evidence that they had to deliberate on. Hang on. In fact, let me check, check my notes here. Yeah. Um... Oh, it took him an hour and a half. Uh, what's that now? Uh, 90 minutes. Nueve minutos. Noventa minutos. Oh. It's Italian and Spanish. Yeah. Nointig minuten. Nice. How do you say it in Fall River? <laughs> <laughs> the jury declares Lizzie not guilty, and most of the entire courtroom celebrates, including Lizzie, <laughs> who tells reporters that she's... The happiest woman in the world. Which is weird for a woman whose parents were just murdered. Before hugging her sister and saying, Now take me home. And to answer your question, yes, she did absolutely mean the house where her parents were just murdered. A hatchet, blood dress, shared parents, summer mud butt, kids aborted, killed, killed the parents. <laughs> With an axe in, in their, their house. house. God, you're the worst. You're the actual worst. Today's episode and that jingle brought to you by Scenic Fall River. Please visit us. We've dealt with the plumbing issue. Make your next family vacation a happy one. We don't allow axes in our town. Please wear a mask. No ghosts. Look, okay, we did absolutely warn you that we were not going to solve this crime. Because guess what? It's still technically an unsolved case. With Lizzie remaining... The only suspect. All of the evidence presented against Lizzie was circumstantial, but boy, is there a lot of it. And we're not even done. We're not. Black death, polio, spontaneous combustion. Dying comes then after death comes decomposition. It may be sad and also gross. Here you are. And here's your host. Not an actual doctor. But it's medical. No, murder. Medi no, no, this is murder. 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 <laughs> Facts. With Dr. Ranger. Medically, someone with access to a real fucked house with all its locks was wandering around in there for over an hour unseen by the other members of the household. At 9.30, they deliver a bunch of really hard axe hits to a 200-pound woman mm. and drop her straight to the floor, where she bleeds out, basically visible to every room upstairs. You, you good? Drop her straight to the floor. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. A bit later, they hit a 
probably sleeping Andrew in the face a bunch of times and then somehow immediately escape in a magic poof of healthy Victorian air. Because mm. the crime scene is buzzing with people while Andrew's body is still mildly warm. There is no blood cover clothing anywhere and there is no murder weapon established. So you can kind of see how conclusions might be made. Mm. Lizzie, the only person in the house who can't really articulate her whereabouts during either of those murders, destroys a dress that no one really gets a good look at, which weirdly the defense never contests or tries to strike out during the trial. She also told a bunch of people her relationship with her stepmom was bad, especially after her father gifted Abby's family some real estate a few years before. She admits and has a doctor vouch that she routinely gets messed up on morphine. Anywho, that's just where things are. After the trial, with all their father's money, Emma and Lizzie move to a new house, still in Fall River, Yay. that they call Maplecroft. They don't have to work. They get real chummy with rich people. Great, there's more of them. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of fun parties and are just enjoying shit, you know. Lizzie befriends an actress called Nance O'Neill, who eventually moves in with them, inciting theories both contemporaneously and in modern times, that Lizzie is a lesbian. But it's not all cupcakes and dandelions and rainbows and happily ever after either, because in 1905, very suddenly, Emma Borden moves out of the house, starts using a different name, and never ever speaks to her sister again. In her one and only interview with the Boston Post in 1913, she says, The happenings in the French street house that caused me to leave, I must refuse to talk about. I did not go until conditions became absolutely unbearable. The scissors die just days apart from each other in 1927. In Emma's well, she leaves Lizzie, their father's assets, and some additional monies. But Lizzie, in true little sister spite fashion, makes sure to say she's not leaving Emma's shit. I have not given my sister, Emma L. Borden, anything, as she's had her share of father's estate and is supposed to have enough money to make her comfortable. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's time for Do We Think She Did It? Uh, I absolutely do. Maybe not alone, though. Probably drugged into it. Personally, I think it was ghosts. What? I'm just kidding. To be honest, I think everybody had a hand in this. Lizzie was a morphine addict, basically, and also on her period, which we all know makes women do murders. (laughs) So I don't think it would have been really that difficult for somebody to just give her a little, you know, go murder dad. That's uh, that's true. John's arrival the night before the murders and his intensely specific alibi, where he, for some goddamn reason, memorized the taxi driver cab number and named like five people he was riding with, could have easily been orchestrated to put things into motion. Mm. It's a little too good of an alibi. Yeah, it's really tight is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. It's tight. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> There's Emma, too, who was perhaps conveniently away. But she'd never really forgiven Abby for, like, existing. And <clears throat> the whole Andrew buying Abby's mother's property thing left a really sour taste in her mouth. It's interesting to remember here that the timeline of the deaths was very, very specific. Abby dies almost an hour earlier than her husband, and that's really relevant for estate reasons. Right, because if Abby died second, Andrew's estate passes to her, and then her estate is broken up, according to her will, to her family, and then half to Emma and Lizzie. But if she dies first, all her stuff goes to Andrew, and then all of Andrew's inheritance 
goes to the girls. Exactly. But also, where is Bridget in all this? It could not have been fun being shit on by that weird fucking family and other locks and nonsense while they call you by the wrong goddamn name all goddamn day. Plus, look, if Lizzie did do this, why leave Bridget alive to narc on her? Mm. Mm. Also, we know that the Bordens couldn't clean a damn thing by themselves. Because that's what maids are for. Oh, so maybe she only left Bridget alive to clean up the mess. Mm. And mm. on that very... Wow, no. Wow. God damn, that's shitty. Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's the episode. Look, this has been long as hell. Yeah. And we didn't even cover half of the shit that was part of this case. Yeah. We're planning to come back to Lizzie in some Patreon-only content over the next month. While the show is on break until October 7th. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And this brings us to the end of our first season. Wow. A whole season. Just <laughs> incredible. Yes. 13 episodes. Did we do that on purpose? No. Jake made us stop because we started having really bad dreams, remember? Oh, right. Uh, so for the next few weeks, you'll probably be like, new episodes. ¿Dónde están new episodes? ¿Está aquí? No. Or is that a key? No. New episodes. No. Anyway, no worries. We're going to do a couple mini-sodes just to keep your thirst for blood quenched. I think you mean demand for content? Sure. Whatever. Quenched. We are posting a Patreon preview next week so y'all can get a good listen on what's happening down over yonder. Okay, cowboy. It's cowman. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for all the support so far. We demand more reviews. It would really help in the meantime. Pretty please review the show. We desperately need it. Uh, five stars only, pretty please. I'm not as desperate as Angel is for your reviews. I do want you to review them, but mostly I want you to tell me how much you love me. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Mine, mostly. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, rate and review me. I mean, me too. That'd be cool. Mm, not as relevant. The show. Okay. It's fine. Just me. Well, guess what? You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Gorilla Jokes. And I'm at It's Nashlin. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. And hey, if you love the show, we've got that Patreon. It's really to cover our sound guy's medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to... Do- what? Dom? What, what, what's up? Hey, what do you got there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> My ass! So check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. And remember, you are loved. You matter. And if you don't want to be your own friend, we will be your own friend. Right, guys? They say yes. New episodes October 7th. Until next time, Skeleton Army. This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers. Can I please get another margarita? Wait, I'm going to say it with... I'm going to say it in Spanish. A margarita? Did I do it right? <laughs> Oh my god. I make an incredible uh, white woman. Oh, uh, that's <laughs> I've never looked at you with more disgust. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not even when I'm like, there's a dead body. 
<laughs> you're smiling. Ah, you're salivating. This is disgusting. Now I'm like, oh, I want a margarita. And you're like, you're gross. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Yeah, can I get an empanada? There's no, there's no tilde. There's no tilde there. An empanada. empanada. An empanada. No. Me and my friends go to Ibiza. Ibiza. Death? In an embarrassing disaster, the Boston Globe pays for... Why do you for- keep getting triggered by embarrassing disaster? <sighs> Is it because you're an embarrassing disaster? It's because I'm an embarrassing disaster. <laughs> I'm an embarrassing disaster. And the Boston Globe. Hola, soy yo, embarrassing disaster. <clears throat> I got it, buddy. I do. I don't, but it's fine. In an embarrassing <laughs> disaster, the Boston Globe pay. Fun facts with Fun facts with Nash. Oh, oh no. You're frozen Wait, again. Okay, my bad. You're back. Okay. Yes, 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 hurry up. <laughs> you look so grumpy. You're like, Mer. Death? I like the idea of like, there's something hanging over me. It's, it's a penis. Over the sink. <laughs> Death? The happiest woman in the world. Which is weird for a woman whose parents were just murdered. Murdered? <laughs> Who was just moited. <laughs> Gonna take this whole fucking thing again. Death? Women. The original werewolves. Oh, woo! <laughs> We're having fun. Oh my god. <clears throat> I don't know how to do that. It's not my period though, so that's why. I can't do this too much. There's dogs here. Death? Just uh, make it cross. Something at the sink. Don't worry about it. Put that away. <laughs> Just needs the sink for a quick minute. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Oh, you thought you were going to escape it, but here we are being randomly horny for no reason. Oh, man. Oh, no. Wasn't even a natural Last episode was the setup. It would have made more sense. But, like, people are dead now, Nash. People are dead, Nash. (laughs) They're on the table. Literally. That wasn't even a sexy, like, preface. It's like, she's just doing something at the sink. And I'm like, I a sink, yeah. Yeah, I sink, am I right, ladies? Yeah, Naturally, the sexiest of all kitchen appliances, the sink. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Th- that's what she did at the sink. Yeah, that's what she did at the sink. <laughs> <laughs> We're terrible people. Hell yeah, people are dead. 